think these guys would like some Blink-182. We went to Blink-182 and they lost their minds. Welcome everyone to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. And here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. Our guest this week is driving vision musically, and his tunes are changing the world, one heart at a time. His passion for music, his upbeat attitude, and interest in all things positive are absolutely infectious. Joining the Driving Vision podcast is actor, musician, and pianist Michael Cavanaugh. He was asked by Billy Joel soon after Joel discovered him at a Vegas show to star in Joel's Broadway musical, Movin' Out, a role he performed over, get this, 13 times in just three short years. He's open for Billy Joel numerous times, and we're thrilled to have him on today's show. Hey, everybody across Ziegler Auto Group and the Driving Vision Podcast. Today with me, I'm super excited because we have a special guest for our first time ever. We have a musician, and welcome to the show today, Michael Cavanaugh. Michael, welcome. How's it going? Great to be here. You know, the owner of the Ziegler Auto Group, Aaron Ziegler, first met you about 20 years ago in Las Vegas, Nevada. You were performing at, was it New York, New York, I think it was? Yeah, it was. Yeah, the Dueling Piano Bar. And he talks about he and his wife, Bonnie, were so blown away by your talents that he followed you ever since. And this was even before I think Billy Joel came to know you. Billy Joel kind of like discovered you and you blew up from there. How did that happen? It was in that same piano bar, actually. I got to know his tour manager. His tour manager, Max Lubier, and I had some mutual friends. So Max was in Vegas. And again, this was 20 years ago. And I was excited just to meet Max. Max came to see me at the piano bar and I was nervous and excited to meet him. He saw me perform. He really liked me. We decided to become pals. We exchanged phone numbers and, you know, we thought about doing some work together. And a couple months after that, Billy was coming into town for a concert and I knew that. But what I didn't know, he was in town a couple days early and Max decided to surprise me. I mean, he gave me about 15 minutes notice. I was getting ready to drive to work. He called me and he said, Billy and I are in town and I'm bringing him to hear you tonight in the piano bar. (laughs) And I, you know, had a heart attack, of course. (laughs) And uh, it was an amazing night that changed my life, for sure. What did you feel like when you heard he was coming, he would be in the audience? Did you have a case of nerves? I mean, he's someone that you probably respected, looked up to. Like, that's massive adversity in the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it was more than just nerves. I mean, I I was flipping (laughs) out, you know. Billy Joel wasn't just someone I respected. Billy Joel was my musical hero since I was this tall. You know, my parents bought a piano when I was seven. Right around the same time, uh, my dad turned me on to the music of Billy Joel. I became hooked. Uh, and he was my biggest influence. You know, you know, I have other big influences as well. You know, the Beatles, Elton John. I mean, I could go on and on. But the single biggest influence has been Billy Joel. It was a massive piece of news that was given to me over the phone. So I was very nervous. And fortunately, I've always been one of those guys that, uh, you know, I don't crumble in the moment. I get more energetic. I couldn't have been more nervous, but I was ready and I was excited. I, I'm able to use that nervous energy just to make me more excited. So yeah. thankfully, I held it together. And not only did he see you and not only was he impressed he invited you to join his show and something i've started to listen to over the past few weeks he asked you to perform in a musical he wrote or he co-produced 
uh, moving out. Tell us, what's that like to perform with Billy Joel and then go on to be in a, in a Broadway show that he's created? So the first thing that happened was he was in the room and it was a dueling piano bar. So those of you who haven't been to one before, you know, most people have. Two pianos up against each other like this. And I remember playing and I'm about seven feet away from him and I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm steady. And yeah. Max comes up to me and says, hey, do you want Billy to sit in another piano? I'm like, yes. <laughs> And he oh, said, uh, wow. Billy said, you know, a little help from my friends. I'm like, yeah. You know, so we're like, I get by with a little help from my friends. And we're playing and we're singing together. We're singing in harmony. We're trading off verses. I'm like, you can kill me now. And I had no idea it was going to lead to so much more. It was a couple months after that. The musical, the Broadway musical moving out was already in the process of being created. I didn't know about it at that point. I think when they saw me, they were like, okay, I think he's the guy. He's the guy. We need a piano man. We need someone to do what Billy Joel would do if he could afford himself on Broadway, right? So yeah, that's what yeah. I was brought in to do. And when I was told about it, it was incredible. It was Max who called me. And Max helped put the whole deal together. And uh, Billy thought I was the right guy. I still had to meet the producers and the director, Twyla Tharp. And I had to win them over. But, you know, when you have the piano man's thumbs up going in, it's a pretty good place yeah, to start. It's done. It's done. It was, well, you know, believe it or not, it wasn't done. It wasn't done. Twyla really was taking the reins. Before I got there, she was even thinking about having the characters sing different songs. One character sing Uptown Girl, one character sing Big Shot. And Tommy's guitar player, who was his musical director, a friend of mine, he's been with Billy since 1989, Tommy Burns. I mean, Billy's guitar player, Tommy, said, was the one to really say, you know, Billy, we should have we should have a piano man. And Billy agreed, and then they both agreed that I would be the right guy. So, And Twyla really liked me, so it went from there. And it took a while for it all to happen. I mean, I met Billy in February of 2001. We didn't open on Broadway until about a year and a half after that. So there was there was waiting, and I'm telling people that it's going to happen. I'm telling people at the piano bar I'm going to Broadway, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it actually happened. <laughs> what a great story. So it's interesting. I've started to listen to that music, and I grew up on the music of Billy Joel. And in fact, Billy Joel, Elton John, you named the artist that just as a kid defined my youth there in the 90s. And one of the songs in particular that I loved, La oh no, is it The Land of Confusion? Let's see. There is one song. Land of that Confusion is, is Genesis. That's Genesis. That is not. Hang on a second. Hang on a second, because I think, oh, I took it off. I love Genesis too, by the way. Genesis is great, right? Phil Collins and the drum set. What's the song that rec recounts? Oh, we didn't start the fire. We didn't start the fire. Yes. I love yeah. that song. It's history, right? Got a lot of words. And it's very different in the Broadway musical, the rendition is. Very different. So it was Twyla, because like I said, this was Twyla Tharp's baby. Twyla is a legendary choreographer, choreographed Hair, the movie choreographed. Oh, in the 80s, the movie Amadeus choreographed White Knights, which was a huge movie in the 80s. You know, head of the biggest ballet performances in the United States. I mean, a legend, right? A legend. So she really wanted things a certain way. So she wanted, because We Didn't Start the Fire was a war scene in the musical movie now. So she wanted it to be heavy. And she heard a song called The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. And she said, I want it to sound like that. <laughs> Wait, are you telling us that it's Billy Joel meets Marilyn Manson? Is that song? I love it. <laughs> it's kind of Billy Joel meets Marilyn Manson. Kind of, yeah. So it's very different. When you see the musical, it makes total sense. And when you just listen to the 
the soundtrack, you're like, whoa, that's different, you know. Yeah. But during the scene, there's machine guns going and people are getting, sh you know, shot and killed, and it's a war scene. Thinking about Billy Joel and all of the times you've performed with him, including the Broadway musical, which, by the way, anyone that hasn't had a chance to check out that soundtrack, what a great thing to, to listen to. It's an incredible uh, musical. I haven't seen it live, but it's Thanks. incredible. What's one thing that surprised you about Billy Joel, having grown up on his music, having been familiar with it before you ever met him? What's something that surprised you getting to know him personally? Well, first of all, I was surprised. I remember I was just getting to know him and I'm, I'm having lunch with him. It's in New York. It's getting close to w when we open on Broadway. And I was surprised that he wasn't thinking I would know some of his songs. You know, they were still trying to figure out some of the songs that were going to go in it. And there's a song on 52nd Street, which is one of the albums that changed my life called Half a Mile Away. It, it wasn't a single, but he's like, have you ever heard of a song called Half a Mile Away? I'm like, of course. And he starts singing it to me at the table. And I'm like, is this really happening right now? I'm sitting in New York, kind of like one of those restaurants where the tables are out on the sidewalk. And people in New York... Most of them don't even realize it's Billy Joel. People in New York, they're just in their mode and they're going down the street. And Billy Joel sitting at a table singing to me one of his songs that I grew up on. So that surprised me that he was just so open like that. It also surprised me, how do I say this? He didn't want me to make mistakes necessarily. But if I would sometimes do things my own way and not exactly the way he did it, he actually kind of loved that. And that surprised me a little bit, which I thought was great. He let me be myself. He didn't want me just to be a carbon copy, which I never really tried to be. And I remember being at the open night party and I'm standing with Billy and his mother, God rest her soul, she says, I can't tell you two apart. And Billy and I just started laughing because we don't really <laughs> think we sound that much alike. I know when I sing his music, a lot of people think I sound like him. But if you heard him speak and hear me speak, it sounds nothing alike. And if you heard me sing anything other than Billy Joel, you wouldn't say, oh, that sounds like Billy Joel. So I think his music just kind of comes out the way it went in because I was such a massive fan and I listened to it every day as a kid. That's awesome. So as you think about your own musical talents and abilities, who do you count as a mentor? Billy Joel certainly has to be one of those, but you got your first piano at a very young age. I think I read three or five years old. You've been in musical performances your entire life. Who is kind of your mentor? Who's kind of helped develop you over your life? I can't leave Billy Joel's name out of that. No. Not only did I listen to his music growing up, but you know he actually would give me advice on songwriting and things like that. Once I got to know him, it was incredible. I've had a lot of mentors. I've had local mentors. You know, I grew up in the Cleveland area. I started performing in nightclubs when I was 12 years old. Wow. So I had a lot of local mentors. I've had... Um, mentors that have taught me. I've had guys in the dueling piano bar uh, business that really taught me about entertaining a crowd. Not so much yeah. about playing with a band because it's, it's a different format than playing with a band, but I've learned a lot. I mean, there's a guy here in Vegas, Chris Nelson. I did dueling pianos in Orlando before I moved here. There's a guy named Rick Sloan, Mark King, Ernie Hargett. They taught me how to work a crowd. And, and I'll tell you what, I play with full symphonies behind me and I still work a crowd the way they do in a piano bar. And, and people have never seen that before. And it's very valuable to me. Another mentor of mine actually was, I mentioned Tommy Burns' name, Billy Joel's guitar player. He and I became very close and he really, he taught me a lot about musicianship. And I was one of those guys that I just wanted to play a million notes, you know, all the time. And he would say, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And he really <laughs> taught me a lot about being, uh, <laughs> it's funny, I say that to young musicians all the time now. Yeah. That are just like... Yeah. Just like, because you can doesn't mean you should. He taught me a lot about playing with a band, about fulfilling my role, which was a big role on Broadway. Uh, obviously, singing the lead, uh, singing the lead. But, you know, playing in the band, you know, when you're playing in a band, you serve the song. That's what you do. You serve the song. Everyone gets their moment. You know, like if I do uh, Great Balls of Fire, Jerry Lee Lewis, I have a moment. I'm playing with my feet. I'm jumping all over the place, right? But if I'm just playing... Or... Or... 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I just have to do my part. I didn't learn that until I was 30 years old. It's a relationship you end up having with the audience. Because that whole idea of performing up on stage, it's not about you but it is a relationship between you and the crowd, right? And truly, really I, love that, I love that you learned what you do through dueling pianos because that's a great example of that back and forth, working the crowd yes. and then hearing what they want and then giving it to them. What's that like for you? What's been your most memorable time on stage where you felt that connection to the crowd and you've given them something that's truly remarkable? The most memorable. Well, I, it, it would probably be hard to, to pick one moment. What's great about what I do is that there's, there's a lot of different formats. So sometimes I'll perform four or 5,000 people, just me and a piano. I've performed with the Boston Pops behind me, Fourth wow. of July, you know, for a half a million people. I've performed with my band. I've performed with smaller and larger versions of the band. So there, there have been different, different experiences. It's all about that connection. When I really feel like I can read an audience, which is one thing I learned in the piano bar, where I can look at an audience and I, and I say to myself, I think I know what these people want to hear. I mean, even at... Uh, Bonnie Ziegler's party. I mean, that's what I did. It was a blast. And I was able to look at him and say, okay, I think these guys would like some Blink-182. We went to Blink-182 and they lost their minds. <laughs> it's fun for me. I would have to say there, there have been a couple of times that I've, that I've played with symphonies that we were able to take requests from the audience. And that's not an easy thing to do because a whole symphony is reading music. So it's not like I can just pull anything out of the air like I can with me and my guys. Like my guys that I'm bringing to the holiday party, somebody requested, it was actually at, at the last thing we did for them, they wanted wanted to hear uh, Mr. Brightside by the Killers. And we had never, all of us, really, maybe one time we did it, but it wasn't rehearsed. And we did it, and it came off like we played it every night, and they went crazy. It was great. But to do that with a symphony uh, is, is pretty crazy. So there was one night that we had some extra charts aside, and we were able to have the audience request songs through text messaging, and we were actually able to do it. It was pretty amazing. Are you up for that when you come to Ziggler? That would be kind of an interesting exercise to see different genres. I know that the night isn't long, and Aaron and Bonnie both said it went quickly with you that night. In fact, I think they got a little extension and we're grateful to have it. But uh, for that, we're so excited. You know, one of my favorite albums is Elton John's Live in Australia, where he played with a symphony orchestra. There's something about yeah. that kind of music. Billy Joel, Elton John, whatever. You put strings behind it and it just sounds like an epic film soundtrack, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Strings and brass and percussion and woodwinds and the harp. And it's it is. I mean, a lot of the music really lends itself well to that. I mean, if you think of pressure... That's very classical sounding, right? But when you hear cellos and violins playing it, it takes on a whole other life. It's, it's really cool. And same with Elton stuff. What inspires you when you think about your music? Some of the best musicians are inspired either by pain or joy. There's something that moves them in their performances and either in the music they write or the music they choose. Is there something that inspires you? I would say I'm more toward, towards the joy. I mean, there are songs about pain that I love. For example, Goodnight Saigon by Billy Joel, right? The one where he brings out, he'll bring out like war heroes to sing the chorus. That reaches me, but you know, a happy melody. No woman, no cry. Like, I, to me, that sounds like a happy song. Like, everything's gonna be alright. Everything. Like, that just, I don't know, it just makes me happy, you know? So songs like that, I love it. But there is definitely a place for, for sad songs and for emotional songs, too. You'll never see me end the night or end a set. We'll do uh, Goodnight Saigon uh, in our show, and then right after it, we'll do River of Dreams, which is, like, a much happier song. But it's great to go through those different experiences, but I like to end on a happy note. I love that song, by the way. One of the Billy Joel's classics, River of Dreams. And one, didn't Garth Brooks, I oh, think, yeah. remake it as well? He remade Shameless. That's right. That's what it was, Shameless. 
timeless. Yes. And we did that song in, in moving out and Billy, you know, his, his version never really became a hit. I don't really, I don't know that it was released as a single or not. It might've been, but it wasn't really promoted that way. And Garth had it. It was a number one hit. So we would do it in moving out and people would say, that's awesome. It's so cool. You did that Garth Brooks song. I would hear that all the time. Say, well, actually, you know, it's a Billy Joel song. Yeah, that is. We are so grateful to you for the time that you've spent with us today just to talk about music. Is there one song that you connect with? A song, let's see. Uh, I don't know if it would be a Billy Joel song or if it would be a party song, if it would be a holiday song. Let's see. Well, one song I know that uh, they love, and one of my favorite Billy Joel songs is... That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. Pretty tough to beat that song. No, that's awesome. Well, you have a few albums. If people wanted to get a little bit more of Michael Cavanaugh, where could they go to get exposed to more of your music before you come to Kalamazoo? So you can always go to my website, michaelcavanaugh.com. Cavanaugh with a C. Some people spell with a K. Some people spell with a C. All my stuff is also on Amazon. If you want to hear some of it, you know, it is on Spotify. It is on Apple Music. If you want to buy the stuff, that's not going to hurt our feelings. But uh, (laughs) you can hear it on YouTube. I just want to spread as much of it as we can, spread the joy of music, you know, because it it makes a difference in people's lives. I certainly learned that over the pandemic when people were locked up in their house and I, and I got this set up going and I started doing these live streams and the letters I got from people, you know, the, the messages of how it just helped them through it. You know, it, it, uh, it meant a lot. And you know, that's what music does. I read something. It was like a meme. It said, music is what feelings sound like. I'm like, that's pretty good. Mm. You know, I want to get your take on one final thing before we leave. We've heard a lot about this crazy thing that happened this past week. Taylor Swift launches a concert. So you talk about music and the experience and the connection between a performer and the audience. Ticketmaster apparently botches it, right? Although a sold out deal, I don't know how that's a bad thing. That's publicity for her. TikTok, Jason Mraz, who's somebody I really like, went to TikTok and said, hey, I'm a humanitarian. If anybody who didn't get into Taylor Swift uh, wants, they're welcome to come to my show. We're not sold out. Uh, What's your take on that? Was it a publicity stunt or no? And then uh, any similar invitations to any audience members from Taylor Swift's crowd to come join Michael Kavanaugh? Well, of course you can come join me. Do I think what she did was a publicity stunt? I don't think so. One of my best friends is her lead guitar player has been in her band since she like really broke with the Fearless album. Since before that, he's been with her since she was like a little, she might've been 14 or 15 when he joined the band. I don't think it was a publicity stunt. She's just, she's massive. I mean, like a week or two weeks ago, the top 10 songs 
songs were all her. Yeah. Never heard of that in my life. Yeah. She had all 10 of them. So it's massive. Like, it's her, you know, that group out of BTS. You know what I'm talking about, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, BTS. They came yeah. to Vegas and they sold out like four nights at Elysian Stadium. So it's crazy. So I'm happy that people want to go hear live music. And I think it's a great idea for them to go see Jason Mraz if they can't get Taylor Swift tickets. It's a great idea for them to come see me as well. And I think it's great. The only thing I know about Taylor is that she has been amazing to my buddy Paul Sedotti, who's been in her band forever. She's loyal to him. She treats them all like family. And I know a lot of guys that have been on a lot of tours, and that is not always always what I hear about the artist. That is for yeah. sure. You know, she was great to them through the pandemic. I'm happy for her success. I've yeah. never met her, yeah. but good for her. She was determined, and she made it happen. What is it that causes someone to become epic like that versus there's so many people in the performance world it's incredible. She does yeah. put on a good show. I yeah. saw her at Soldier Field in Chicago, and it was magical's a nice word, right? But not my favorite mm -hmm. concert yeah. of all time, sure. right? What, what's the difference? What makes someone just go epic like that? You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> if I did, maybe I would be a record executive. I'm not sure, but she obviously has it. She obviously has it. So does Drake. Right, I don't listen to a lot of rap music, and there's a lot of rappers out there, but there must be something different yeah. about him. I don't know what it is because it's not my genre. I mean, I could hear some of it and say, okay, that's cool, right? But I don't really know. Same thing with all these country artists. What makes one of them pop? Now, I can tell you with Garth Brooks, with him, he might be the greatest entertainer I've ever seen as far as like just how to work a crowd. Have you ever seen him live? Oh, yes. And in fact, as a kid, I always wanted to go, could never afford the tickets. So I finally was able to afford it as an adult. Saw him in uh, Salt Lake City, and it was incredible. Although I would tell you, I think others have learned from what he did so well in the 90s and have duplicated it maybe even better than he did. Jason Jason Mraz is an example, in my mind, of someone that was amazing. I mean, you two, obviously, they're epic in that lane. But I agree, Garth Brooks did it first and better than anyone else did it, right? I got to meet him, actually. I performed for Steve Wynn's wedding, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, whatever that was. We were the main band, and then we would bring up guests. So we brought up Garth, and we brought up Trisha, and we, it was like this big star-studded thing. And he was so kind. And then I went to his show in Vegas where it was just him and a guitar and no band around oh. him. And, you know, he's not Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. And he'll say it. He's somewhat of a basic guitar player and there was one part in the song Shameless actually that we were talking about where it goes to the bridge where he said listen I'm going to be honest with you I can't play all these Billy Joel chords so in the middle of the song he puts down the guitar and finishes it a cappella with nothing and the place went bananas eating out of his hand and I was like okay I've seen enough like this guy doesn't need anything I think he put the microphone down too I think it was just him and his voice and nothing else and he sang the whole last verse of the song where he's like singing really high and it, the audience could not have been louder the way they responded. It was, I'm like, this guy is, I've never seen anything like it. Can't dance. It's not about that. What'd you think of Elton John Million Dollar Piano in Vegas? Hey, when you describe amazing shows, that was pretty doggone cool. Unfortunately, I didn't see that one. I mean, I've seen Elton many times. I didn't see the Million Dollar Piano. It's funny. You live in Vegas, you think I go see all the shows. When you live in Vegas... You don't really go to the strip. I do go see some shows there sometimes, but I saw him so many times on the road when him and Billy were touring together, which was really an amazing thing to see. I don't know that they'll ever do it again. Who knows? If someone's got a big enough checkbook, boy, it better be pretty big. <laughs> Elton says he's retiring. To me, that tells me he's just waiting for another zero to be added to the end. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. I hope he doesn't. I hope he goes forever. I hope he goes forever. I did see some, a, a lot of friends of mine went to that show and, and like the multimedia and everything was, was major and that's becoming a big 
thing with shows, you know, screens and, and lighting. It really does add a lot. We're working on adding to my shows as we play in performing arts centers all over the country. Obviously, that stuff's expensive. We're, we're trying to make it happen, but it does add a lot. It really does. Elton's shows, I mean, I saw he was on Disney Plus the other night. I didn't see it. I was flying somewhere from somewhere. I forget where I am half the time. But what I saw looked amazing. I wake up sometimes, I'm like, where am I? I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in my own house. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be an amazing show when you think about Elton John and Billy Joel? Elton John, Billy Joel, you, and James Taylor. Wouldn't that be incredible? James Taylor's music. James Taylor toured with Elton John for a while before Elton John got sick. In fact, I almost went to his concert in, where do they make red wine, Malbecs? They were there overseas somewhere, and they got sick, didn't end up performing. But to see James Taylor, Elton oh, wow. John would be amazing. You throw in Billy Joel yourself. Can you imagine amazing. that for? Oh, my gosh. You're very kind to put me in that group. <laughs> but JT is definitely one of my heroes. One of our symphony shows, it features a lot of the singer-songwriter era. So it's a lot of Paul Simon, James Taylor, some Neil Diamond, uh, Paul McCartney, like, like Wings era type stuff. So is there anything, James Taylor, that you love to perform? Because there's a setup here as we close up. What's your favorite James Taylor song? Well, it's hard to pick. I can't pick a favorite. But I will tell you, one of my favorites, I mean, of course I love Fire and Rain. Of course I love Sweet Baby James. Of course I love, ah, there's so many. But I love, whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself because I love you. Isn't it amazing a man like me can't feel this way? Tell me how much longer it will go stronger every day. I mean, I love it. It's just like songs like that make me happy. That is awesome. And that truly isn't that the power of music. So, Michael Cavanaugh, we are yeah. so grateful to have had you here today. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Okay. We are so excited to have you at Ziggler here December 10th for our annual year-end party. And uh, it's going to be fun to meet you live in person and hear so many of these tunes uh, live. Thank you for demonstrating Absolutely. the power of music to connect with people and drive vision. Again, appreciate you being here on the Driving Vision Podcast, Michael Cavanaugh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll see you soon. A special thanks to musician Michael Kavanaugh for contributing to this week's podcast. Until next week, how are you driving vision today? <laughs>